best we can, live today, and a lot of today, but rooted in God's Word. And so this letter, I think, will help us as we wrestle with what does it mean to be the family of faith? So if we had to give a title to this series that we're going to be spending the next few months in, uh, that's what we're going to call it. It's the family of faith, is that we are the people of God together, that you're not just sitting in this room with random strangers, although you say, well, yeah, I am. I don't know any of these people. Um, The church is more than that. Church is more than just somebody that you are a spectator alongside of, like you would if you went to a concert uh, or a lecture hall at, at school or something. Like Church is much deeper than that. It's not just people that you're in proximity with on a row. It really is family. It is family. And so we hopefully we'll even see that a little bit today as we uh, unpack chapter 3. Um, but what does it mean to be the family of faith? That faith in Jesus is what unites us. So we're not a family because we have things in common. Um, you didn't get to pick your family, right? Your actual like blood and you know, relatives. But we together are saying we're voluntarily committing to one another. Say, we're going to be this covenant community of faith. Say, we are rallying around not a preacher, not a style of worship, not a particular church with their vision statement and the programs that they offer that we hope are, are good and faithful and right. We don't rally around those things. And I hope that we don't see church through that consumeristic lens of like, I'm going to land somewhere that kind of checks off all the boxes that I have in my mind. I pray that we see church much more like joining a church is like being a part of a family. It's not a, um, just one option among many. Like we are coveting together um, with one another. And so if you're here and you're a member of our church, you've done that. You said, I'm promising to be a part of this family of faith. And I'm submitting myself to the leaders and to submitting myself to one another to say, I am walking through life with Jesus, being on mission with Jesus here with these people. And you see that rhythm all throughout the New Testament. This is insanely biblical. And if you're here and you're not a member, you say, well, membership, like isn't that kind of outdated? Like why do we talk about church membership? Like is it really just I got to kind of sign my name on a piece of paper and now become official? Like now I'm like, I think we see membership that way. But biblically, it's one thing to be in a crowd and say, I'm going to consume and be a part of because I like, you know, something about this place. I'm going to keep coming back. That's one thing. You say, man, Tri-Cities is the place I go to church. It's quite another to say, I'm going to get under the hood a little bit and see what this place is really about. And that I'm going all in to make disciples who make disciples here with these people. And if you've never done that, to say, you know, I, I mean, Tri-Cities is my church. And these people are my people. And this vision is my vision. And this mission is my mission. And I want to do that here with these people. I want to to walk through life here. If you've not done that, I would highly encourage you to take membership seriously. That's not some archaic thing that's way back. You know, it's a biblical thing. You say, well, I'm part of the church universal. I don't need to be a part of the church local. And I think what we're going to see here, this letter that we are unpacking together is a letter to a local church. Not just the church generally, it's the church at Ephesus that, that Timothy is the pastor of. And so we see that model all throughout the New Testament of, yeah, the church universal. It's much bigger than Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Amen, church? Let's hear that affirmation. Like, God is doing a work that is bigger than what happens in these four walls uh, on a Sunday or what happens in our lives throughout the week. Like, His people is diverse and beautiful and global. But it does matter what God is doing here at, in this local assembly. And we want to be faithful um, uh, to those things. And so uh, next steps, okay, I, I'm kind of interested. Like, I'd love to hear more about this church to maybe... Take that step of commitment. Um, the next step for that for us is called Discover Tri-Cities. It's a class we do ever so often throughout 
um, the course of a year. And this is where we cast the vision of our church to where you hear and meet our leaders and say, what are we about? What does it mean to covenant here and commit here? And if you've not done that, I would highly recommend you do that. The next class is coming up on September 11th. Uh, September 11th, we'll be having our Discover Trust Cities, and it'll be directly following our worship gathering at 1 o'clock. And so we'll provide lunch for you, uh, free. Can I get a witness, college students? I mean, no other motivation, free food. Um, and then it'll be just two hours, so 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, and we'll just be casting, what does it mean to be part of this church? And then after that, if you say, man, this is the church I want to commit to, we can walk through that process with you. Um, but that's free as we jump into First Timothy. But let's actually jump in. Why would we study a letter like this? Why, why First Timothy? Uh, why even study the Bible in the first place? Why are we gathered in a room like this to open up this book that was written thousands of years ago to have any to look at anything that has any bearing on my life today? Like, why are we studying the Scriptures? Why do we have a conviction here to preach through books of the Bible? I want to give two reasons. One is just the reason why we study the Bible in general, and then a second is um, related to First Timothy. So here's the first reason that I think we see in chapter one, verse one. Of 1 Timothy. One of the reasons we study 1 Timothy and study the Bible is because this letter and all of the 66 books of our Bible is a word from God for the people of God. So again, maybe you're here and this isn't new to you. Like you've heard that statement or something similar to it a lot. Like I know the Bible is God's word. Like it's what we grew up hearing. But I want that to sit on us in a different way to say what we're encountering this semester is not Derek's opinion, or whoever's up here filling this pulpit opinion. Like, that's not what we're doing. We are believing in all of our heart that we are hearing from God, that all Scripture is inspired by God, literally from the mouth of God. That he speaks through human authors. Yes, he's writing through Paul, but it's from him. So just as a way of reminder, maybe it's the first time you've ever heard that, and that just is kind of hard for you to, to wrap your mind around. But for those of us that grew up hearing that, don't let that kind of just bounce off <laughs> of your head. Like, okay, I, this is the Word of God. This is important. This is why we center our church around the Word. And so verse 1 of chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to look more into the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to see his testimony because he lays it out a little bit for us in chapter 1. So when we get there, we'll talk more about this guy named Paul. So come back in a couple of weeks and we'll chat about him. But what we, I want to focus on this morning is what Paul calls himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. So an apostle just means one that's sent by God. That's what that word means. Uh, and it can be used for random people in the church, in the early church, and how you see spiritual gifts. Um, but in this case, and in many cases, this word is used to say Paul is an apostle in that he has had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. So if, you, if you're here and you're a skeptic or a doubter or a seeker, like Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> like we just sang about that in that song and celebrated that together. But if he rose from the dead, that he has all authority. And that God has chosen in his authority to say, I'm going to choose to speak through people. Just a select few people. Not everybody gets to say, I get to write, write the Bible. You know, like not everybody gets to do that. He says, I'm going to choose apostles. And they're going to have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And empowered by my spirit, I'm going to inspire the words for you to write. For the church, for them to hear my, my thoughts, to know my will, to know what it means to be my people. And so Paul is one of those guys. He's inspired by God, or inspired by God, rather, um, sent by God so to, to write Scripture that is inspired uh, by Him. 
So listen, it is a real letter from a guy who really existed. This is not like Mickey Mouse. Like Paul was a real dude. Like he's a historical figure. Like he's writing a letter to a real pastor, Timothy, who has a real church in a real city. So again, the Bible is not a myth. It's not fairy tale. This is written historically. But listen, this is more than an older, wise sage of a pastor that is giving wisdom to this young whippersnapper pastor that needs to know what to do um, for his local church. It is that in many ways, uh, which is really relevant, by the way. Like, do we need God's truth for a church led by a young pastor? (laughs) Yes, we do. Okay, so this is going to be helpful for us, right? But it's more than that. It's a word of God for the church throughout history. That, that because that Paul is an apostle, and this is from the mouth of God, this is much more than just about Timothy and the church at Ephesus. Much more. It has bearing to say this has something to do for the local church throughout all of history. That every church that's ever existed since the church at Ephesus and every church that will exist until Jesus comes again, including ours. I want you to even get that picture. That what we're doing right now is a part of something so big and glorious throughout history. That, I mean, this is real. Like, this, people have died for our faith that we're gathering together this morning. It's just beautiful. Why are we studying First Timothy? It's because it's from God for us as a church. It's a big deal. We need, we, we need wisdom of what it means to be the family of faith together. But then verse 2 goes on. It says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's a second reason that I'm going to give us of why we would study a book like this, is that this letter is a model of what discipleship looks like in the local church. It's a model of what discipleship looks like uh, in the local church. So this church at Ephesus, just again, hang with me. I know this is introductory, like why are we, this is important. He's writing, and this is a very, Ephesus is a very large, multicultural, diverse city, much like a New York, Manhattan of our day. Um, so it's known for a lot of its beauty and culture and good things that all cities bring, but it's also known for its paganism and false worship. One of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana, you guys see that with the big columns, you know, know what I'm talking about, the Temple of Diana, was located in the city of Ephesus, also known as the Temple of Artemis, right in the middle of the city. And so it was known for its false uh, worship, cultic practices of magic and sorcery and soothsaying. That was kind of a big part of the culture. And so Timothy is, is receiving instruction, listen, of how to minister and to be the church in an increasingly pluralistic society. So Ephesus isn't like Bible Belt, caring about everything that God has to say. Like it is a pagan, far from God context. And so he's writing, so you're going to be the church in this environment. And it matters, Timothy, how you lead your God's people, my people, in this increasingly uh, secular, hostile environment. And even though we're in the Bible Belt, um, this is increasingly becoming more and more true of our culture, assault against truth and not to believe anything that this word says and not wanting to submit to God. So we need to understand if we're going to do what we just talked about on this stage, to be disciples who make disciples and live on mission, we've got to be good missionaries of knowing how to do that, how to do that. And so to kind of kick us off with what I think is faithful to Timothy writing to this church and here in Ephesus, uh, the enemy wants to dampen the effectiveness of any local church. Like that's what he wants to do. And by enemy, I mean the enemy's not necessarily our culture and all these people. Like, it's not that. It's, we have a real enemy, and Satan is a real person that he's 
seeking to attempt to rob God of his glory and us of our joy and keep us ineffective is what it means to be the bride of Christ. He's always done that, and he's doing that today. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants you, skeptic, doubter, seeker, not to see Jesus and to let the church be the, the boundary that keeps you from following Jesus. He would love to see that happen. He would love, child of God, for you to get so cynical from your past hurts in the church and so tired of feeling like you've got to do all this stuff and being so busy to keep you from seeing your real identity and who you really are as the church. He would delight in nothing more than to keep the church ineffective, to keep us kind of arm's distance from the church or to kind of maybe show up but not really get involved because he would love to say, you're just a spectator on a Sunday. Man, that's awesome. He'd love to keep you from here, but he'd also say, if that's all you're doing, that is great. But don't you dare try to get in community and love these people because you're actually going to change and maybe get on mission. And that's the last thing the enemy wants. He would love to, when you actually do take that step, to take bad experiences or people who are also on this journey of becoming like Jesus. And you get really impatient with people and get hurt and say, well, what's the use of this? That is what the enemy wants to do, is to get the church to be busy arguing fussing, fighting, maybe not even negative, just busy doing a lot of good stuff, but just not making disciples and pushing back darkness and seeing kingdom advancement. He would love more than anything to do that. And we even see that back thousands of years ago as we read this book written in mid eighty sixty. okay? That the enemy was doing that then, of trying to rob God of his glory and the people of God of their joy and their effectiveness in the mission. Uh, so we're going to see outside threats as we walk through this book. Uh, in the church at Ephesus, that there were cultural influence that was influencing the people in that church that we have to be on guard against. And to this day, that is true for us. Um, In many cases, persecution as an outside threat of the people that were carrying the name of Jesus, that it cost them everything and for some, even their lives. And so are we going to say the enemy is at work from the outside to affect the church? But here's what's always been true in the church, always is that yes, we have a real enemy and culture and we're going to make sure we're not swayed by the culture, but the greatest enemy is not the people out there. (laughs) The greatest enemy in all local churches is usually from within. The greatest threat, perhaps would be a better way to say that, Not maybe not the enemy, the threat, is for the church internally (laughs) to have division. Or as we're going to see next week, that strays from the gospel in really... Uh, sly ways and many subtle ways, but believing lies, a false belief, that maybe not even walking away from the faith entirely, but to not believe what is actually true and reserved in this, that's a threat that from within is that we would be strayed from the gospel. Uh, another threat that we see in Timothy is a prayerlessness and disordered worship. They were just crazy every time they tried to get together and they didn't know what to do and how to organize themselves. Because of that, they were divided and they had a lack of qualified leadership. So he's going to tell them how to appoint elders and how to, uh, how to operate in that kind of power structure there, authority structure. Um, but men that weren't called to be pastors were pastors. We're going to see next week people that are just heretics that were leading the church. That's a problem. Uh, no longer caring for those in need. So he's going to give us real practical examples of what it means to care for widows and poor uh, and the marginalized in our church, but also through our city, but definitely in here in our church, like, Part of what it means to stray away, and one of the threats that we have has become so selfish that we're not against about the needs of the people on the other side of the room. That it's more than just you coming to be a part of this place. It's more saying, I'm coming to say, what can I give? 
How can I be a part of what God is calling me to be a part of? And then we see a materialism. He ends this letter and, and warns us against the love of money. Uh, again, this is not to boost budget for Paul. <laughs> this was to say, this is about your heart and your soul and your joy. That money has a way of gripping you and holding on to you. And don't be so materialistic that it'll kill your soul. Um, but then also we see, so it's going to help us with discipleship is what I'm trying to say. This book is going to help us be the church and be on mission together. But even what we see here in verse 2, that Timothy is his child in the faith. That he had such a relationship with this young pastor and a love for this young pastor um, that they had, Paul had invested his life into Timothy. So it's going to be a beautiful thing. You're going to see very tender language of this man who is living this out. Like he's caring for this man to be the pastor that God's called him to be, to do this with other people. But he's not just barking orders at this pastor and saying, hey, go be, make disciples, go do this, and here's what you need to do. But this is a, a shepherd's heart that says, I am telling you this. and You've in many ways seen this model with me. You are my son in the faith. So he's like, Timothy, you really are following Jesus. Like, I see that you are my brother and sister. But it's bigger than that. Like, I've seen God grow you. There's a discipleship relationship. Again, using that family language. It's not just attendees to a class or somebody that i got to endure for two hours at a small group. Like, it's family. And for this older pastor that saw this man that he'd invested in, is that's my boy in the faith. I'm so proud of you, Timothy. Um, and that's what this means for discipleship. That He says that I'm saying these things that you might be able to uh, show grace and mercy and peace. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, again, this is his last words. This is the other letter. Uh, he says, you then, my child. He's talking to Timothy. Paul talking to Timothy. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He said, man, that's the charge of discipleship. Is I want you to be strengthened by grace. Meaning you don't deserve Jesus and the gospel, but you have him. <laughs> and I want you, when you're weak, to be infused and strengthened by Jesus. Like, you be strengthened by grace. Why? Like, well, when I'm strengthened by grace that's in Jesus, and it's not about my performance, not my, my, about me being busy. Slow down, Derek. About me being busy. I'm strengthened by grace, not to be loved by God, but because I am loved by God? Well, what is it that I'm doing? Why do I need strength? What's the mission? He said, I'm asking that what you've heard from me, that you see me like a father in the faith, what you've watched me do for you, I need you to engage other people in that way. I need you to teach these things and trust them. Just like if I were to loan you my child <laughs> for a week. Like, I hope you, I, I'm entrusting my son into your care. I hope you take that seriously, right? Um, and you would do well with that. You've been entrusted the gospel. Well, I want that to land on every person in this room that claims to follow Jesus here. That if you are following Jesus, that he has entrusted you this message. He has entrusted to you, to us together, this mission of making disciples then you are now to entrust that to somebody else, to pass it along, to teach people what it means to follow him. And you're looking for faithful people who are going to, listen, not just say, so see this, this, this continuum. Paul, the father in the faith, investing into his young son in the faith, Timothy. So Timothy, find faithful men who are able to teach others also. You see that continuum? That's the discipleship in the church. People investing into you, and you understand that this is not just about me. 
I'm entrusted with this message of reconciliation. And so now I must entrust this to other people. It's about investing the truths of Jesus into real people. And then it's not done when I've got, hey, I've got all these disciples that I've taught. Are the people that you're investing in, do they know how to invest into others? It's that multiplication effect of you're invested in, you take what you've received and you give it to someone else and you empower them in such a way that they know how to invest that into someone else. That's community. That's the discipleship. And that is how the world ultimately will be transformed and every people group of this world will know Jesus because we do this. But listen, it is the irony of the church is we can get busy doing everything else (laughs) but this of making disciples and investing the truths of God's word into real people in such a way that it multiplies out into others. That is the, the charge that we all have as a church together, but as individuals. Um, so I have a question, or questions for us. Are you being invested in right now? Like, are you submitting to this process of discipleship that we see that's true just as an example of Paul to Timothy, and Timothy to the church at Ephesus. Um, is that true for you? Are you in places to have people speak in your life? Are you teachable? Are you faithful? If not, man, like, jump in. Let's talk about how that could look here. And then the question is, are you investing into others? Like, give me names of the people that are following Jesus and loving Jesus because of you. Now, we know it's because of the grace of God and the power of the Spirit. We know it's not us, but because of your direct influence in their life. Like, this is somebody who's following Jesus because of my influence. Look look around all of this. Like, don't hide behind what God's doing in our church. Like, who is here? Again, it's more than about numbers and seats. We get that. But who is a part of this church that wasn't a part of this church, maybe not even a part of the family of faith in Jesus, as a direct result for you? How many people have we baptized Right here, this is where we do baptism, by the way, if you're new. <laughs> this is not just some random hole. Like, there's a tub here, usually. Uh, when we baptize people, how many people are in this water because you shared the gospel with them and they came to faith in Christ? And again, if that happens, it's not because you had something awesome. It was the grace of God to save them, but he chooses to use us in his mission to accomplish his glory among all people as they're transformed. And so, like, let's submit to this and say, am I really making disciples? Really, is that true of my life? Am I on mission? Am I investing in the people? Am I being invested in? Am I submitting and making, uh, am I accountable to anybody in this room right now? Or am I just kind of, I float in and I kind of float out. I know these people are kind of here for me if I need them, but I'm not really, like, really going deep. And I mean, and that is what um, he's called us to. And then we ought, we ought to ask, is, are we multiplying the gospel through our lives? Are we being strategic in how we do that? Because, again, that's the model. And you see this beautiful picture. Paul is writing to Timothy, my son in the faith. Do you have any of those? All right. So the only thing that's going to compel us to that as we close, and by close you know that means nothing, right? Okay, so don't get hungry because we still got a little bit. Um, the only thing that's going to compel us to that kind of lifestyle, that kind of mutual commitment, that kind of trust, is to get a compelling vision of what the church actually is. Because, again, we've said this over and over again, but I'm going to repeat myself because I can do that, right? Like, the church is not an event you attend. It's not. It's more than this. This is important, right? Like, this is shaping us right now. But it's, it's more than that. 
church is not even programs that we need your help in. So, like, be generous, like, so that we can run our programs. Like, that's not the point at all. Be generous so that we can be effective in making disciples among all nations. It takes resources to do that. Get into a group. Why? Because we've got to turn our numbers in, and we've got to make sure that we have enough. Man, numbers matter. I, I, I get that. There's pressure, I guess, in that. But it's not about that. Like, we want you in study groups and life groups. Because that's what Jesus has called us to, to be. Not about our programs, but about to be the community of faith. And if you get that up part of study groups and life groups, well, go do that. But like here at this church, like this is what we are saying. If you're here, we're trying to facilitate opportunities to be obedient to Jesus. Um, so th- this, these are things that are non-negotiable. This is what the church is. But I think even then we get so bogged down in mission statements and websites and calendar events and all the things that we may like or don't like. And I think we miss the beauty and the big picture of what the church is. And I think maybe you're here and you're a skeptic and you look and say, why are there so many churches? And that's probably a really good question. <laughs> but like, they're all so different. They all have their own spin. Like, this is, I don't understand why we can't work um, together. And what I want to do is pull out to say it is so important to engage in a local church, whether it's this one or something else. And if this church is not the church for you, we would be honored to help you to find the church that is a fit for you. There's other churches in this city that love Jesus and are preaching the Bible. And we'd love to help you get connected there. The point is just get connected to one, to a people. Um, not to be busy, but to be obedient and to, for your joy. But also, I want to pull out for a second and say, okay, but yeah, local churches and all the variations and all the mess that we have and all the stuff. And what is the church universal? What is it that we're a part of that transcends even us here and what we're doing here? And so let's jump over to chapter 3. Jordan read it for us earlier. And I just wanna, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but just verses 14 and 15. This is the purpose statement of the book. So just kind of set our tone. We'll hit this probably more even next week. Uh, but I want us to see it. Here's why Paul says, Timothy... Bro, here's why I'm writing this letter to you. Verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress or foundation, or some of your translations may say it's the support of the truth. So what I want to do is two things as we close of what would Paul say if he were to come and say to us as a church, and I think he would as we submit to the scriptures here, church, here's what I want you to know. Verse 14 and 15, I think, tells us. Let's unpack this together. First, church, if we do not obey God, we do not love God. And that's kind of a heavy statement, so I'm going to let it sit for a second, and I will say it again. If we do not obey him, and what he's told us to do, it's telling us something about our love for him that maybe we're lacking a little bit in the love category when it relates to Jesus and who he is. So, because he says, verse 15 of chapter 3, that you may know how one ought to behave. So he's equipping a pastor to tell universal, all the church, how they ought to behave. The word behave, I mean, means what you think it means. Behavior, what we do, it's a manner of conduct, it's our actions, it's the way that we live our lives. And, And if you look in the original language, it actually has this idea of what's necessary. What, what behavior, what manner of life is necessary as a follower of Christ? And he says that you may know how. It's literally, I'm asking, I'm, I'm writing these things, Timothy, so you're equipped to help these people understand how to live their lives in accordance with the expectations that's on their life. Are you tracking with me? Like, I'm writing that you may know how to behave. 
Man, and we can't just move past that. Like, that's important. That if we don't love God, then if we don't obey God, we don't love God. You say, why would you say that? Well, John 14, from the mouth of Jesus. I want you to hear Jesus' words. I'm going to try my hardest not to preach this. I'm just going to read it. Let it speak for what it is. I want you to hear the words of Christ. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or you will behave in accordance with my commandments to use Timothy. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be with you. This is the Holy Spirit, by the way. It can dwell all of us if we are followers of Christ. I will not leave you as orphans. <laughs> I will come to you, Jesus says, through the Holy Spirit. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Notice this intimacy of what it means for us to be in Christ. But get, let's get verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me. He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But notice verse 24, but whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. We can look at James that would agree with Jesus and say, you can't just be a hearer of the word, you must be a doer of the word. Jesus said, as we make disciples, to go into all the nations and baptize them. But then he says, to teach them to observe all that I've commanded. Literally, the word observe means teach them to obey. Obey all that I've commanded. Part, a fundamental 101 of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to know the commandments of Jesus and to try to obey holistically in every area of life, head, heart, hands, all of life, obey what Jesus has told us to do. So it matters, listen, how we behave, how we live, how we act in the house of God, through the people of God, as the church. It matters how you behave. So he's going to write to us this book to say, I'm going to teach you how. And so what I just want to pull out just to remind us that the people of God are one who have been so in love with Jesus that all this obedience stuff is not burdensome. I mean, let's be real, it's hard to follow Jesus. It is. But what Jesus wants to do in you is to change your heart at a deep level and cause you to love him and out of an overflow of love for him that you will gladly say, teach me, God, how to behave, how to obey you, because that's what I want. And, and the good news is he's given us the spirit to empower us to be who he's calling us to be. But we've got to let that be the litmus test to say, I look at my life, and if I'm not obeying him, like, okay, like I've got to ask the questions, do I really belong to him? But also, like, maybe the place I start isn't just try real hard, get a list, do all those things, although those are important. Maybe it's, okay, if I'm not obeying right now, if I'm struggling, so I want you to think, what areas are you struggling with right now in your life to obey the commands of Jesus? And we go, man, a lot. Okay, but I want you to connect the dots and say, how could there be a, maybe a crosswire or something of your love for him? Why are you not obeying? I mean, is it just because, man, it's hard, I'm a sinner, and I'm working at it, and God's patient with us. Praise God, he's patient with us. But there's a reason that we sin. And it has little to do with our outward behavior. It has everything to do with our heart. That we begin to sin when we get our eyes off of Him. We're not loving Him like we should, so we go to other things. And so if you want to actually change and want to move forward, don't just start by what should I do, what should I not do. Start by why am I even not doing this in the first place? 
And it has something to do with our worship of Him. So I hope those dots become increasingly connected every time we hold out the Word for us. But then here's the second reality. Church, if we do not realize that we are loved by God, we will never obey God. If we don't realize that we're loved by Him, or rather, who we are in Him. So it says in verse 15, he says, how you ought to behave, but notice what he says about us as the church. How you ought to behave in the household of God. That's, that's a cue of our identity. Who are we? This is class participation part of our program. Who are we, church? The household of God. That's who we are. And then he says, I want you to know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we are together. And then that church is a pillar and a buttress or a support or a foundation of the truth. So here's what I think is, is the reality as for the fifth time as we close. Um, you will never have your activity changed, your behavior changed, until you realize your identity. Your identity, that's real Southern, isn't it? Your identity in Christ, like who you are. Because that's what he does. He's like, I want you to know how to behave. And here's how you ought to live your life. But you're never going to live that way. And you might, but it's just going to be stapling roses on a rose bush. Like we've talked about that before. But he says, hey, I want you to behave this way, not because that's what Christians do. We're supposed to be moral. I mean, there's a deeper reality to it. That Jesus has commanded us certain things for a reason, consistent with who we are. He says, hey, church, I want you to be who you are. You are the household of God. Church is family. You realize that, listen, I, th- this is so familiar, but fight the familiarity and let it sink. You are a son or a daughter of God. He's your father. You are brothers and sisters together. We are brothers and sisters together. That's the reality. Christ died to purchase that. God is your father, and he is a good one. Don't approach him like a slave to a taskmaster. It's not who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. And he is your loving father. And this is your brothers and sisters. Like we're stuck with each other. Kind of thing. Like we've got to figure this out in the church. So we are the household of God. Our household literally means family. Not like a building. It's the family of God. And he says that you're the church of the living God. That church of the living God, literally the word church, you know what it means? It's the assembly. It's the gathered assembly. That you are this assembly of people that are a hodgepodge of people. Why are people like in this room together? It doesn't make sense unless we're united around the living God. Uh, and he says in First Peter that this one, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Notice why. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, you were once an enemy of God in darkness, slaves to your sin, and God in his mercy and grace called you out of that and put you over here in light and in freedom and as a, as a part of the family. That's who you are. And he did that that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, to display the glory of him. And we do that best together as the assembly of God, the church of the living God. That idea of living God is all throughout the Old Testament in contrast to all the false idols of that day. That you are not worshiping all the false gods. You're worshiping the one true God. So let your manner of conduct be consistent with this God that you're serving. 
You are the called out one. So be distinct from all the false worship of this world and give praise to the living God. That's who you are. So I don't feel that way. This is the beauty of grace. That's what he's bestowed on you as the church. And he says that we're the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That we center our lives and everything around the word of God. That's our authority. That we have this task to be what holds up the truth. Not because it needs our props. That's not what it means. But to say our lives and our lives together, everything we do is saying, I want the word to be seen. The word is what we submit to. It's the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That if the church isn't holding out the truth of God's word, who will? There's something about boldness here and an identity here. Like, this is who you are. God has designed us to be the foundation and the, and the pillar of the truth of the God to the world and to one another. It's a high calling. It's a high calling. And so we want to submit to that, that we might be who God's called us to be as the church. And get a, I hope out of this series that we get a love for the local church in a deep way that we've never had before. Uh, that we see him for who he is, but also who he's made us to be. And what it means for us um, together. So I'm excited to jump into the series together. But first, let's bow and let's respond to God's word this morning. So if you'll just close your eyes uh, today and we don't want to rush our way out of here. I know the lunch lines will be waiting on us, okay? I want us just to be able to um, sit here just for the next few minutes and try as best as you can to remove the distractions of your heart. And to listen to what God's word has said to us today about our identity. And so just want to make a few statements as we are going to sing this song as a prayer to to close us out here in just a moment. Um, Do you know Jesus? Like that's the question of questions. Like uh, the church is the body of Christ and he is our head. And so if you're here just trying to be a better person or more moral, we're so glad that you're here. But hear this, God does not invite you to do more for him. He invites you to rest in what he has done for you. That God became a man, lived the life you couldn't live, died the death that you and I deserve to die, took your payment of your sin that you've rebelled against God, took it on himself, and he rose again. And he said, I'm alive and I invite you into my life. So will you turn from your sin that's keeping you from God and yourself that's put yourself in authority over God? And will you turn from that and put trust in Jesus as Jesus is my Savior. What he did on the cross counts for me. When he died, I died. When he rose, I rose. I want the life that he provides for me. I want him to forgive me of my sins. I want to be restored to him. And I know the only way I can do that is through Jesus. And so I throw myself on his mercy and grace. And he's my Lord of my life. That whatever he tells me to do, I'm living my life for him. If that's if you've never done that, I invite you right now to put faith, belief, confidence in Jesus. And if you've done that, if you have more questions, we'd love to talk to you about what that means. We'd be delighted, actually. But for those of us who have put saving faith in Christ, listen, are you living consistent with who you are? Is there any area of sin in your life that you need to repent of right now? Areas that you have stuff in your life that is not holy, not glorifying to God, or maybe it's even the things that you're not doing. I'm not living my life to make disciples. I'm wasting my life, and I repent of that, and I come and I claim the grace of Jesus and His forgiveness and the gospel to change me, that I want to move forward in obedience. And then I just want to ask all of us as we sing this next song, just to praise God for His grace in the church. Ask God to give us a heart for the local church and what it means for us to be a part of it, and that we really would be the family of God. And just thank Him that He's your Father. He's adopted you apart from anything you could ever have done. He loves you relentlessly. He likes you today because of who He is. 
that we are called out people to display the glories of Jesus and pray that he would do that, that the glory of his name would be the passion of this church, that we would be that called out assembly, and that we would be the pillar, the buttress of the truth, that we would hold out God's word, that the word of God would shape us intentionally, that we would be a people of the word. Pray those things for your own heart, for the, this, the, these people here. We're going to sing this prayer out. Jesus, you are all to us. And so I invite you to stand now. Let's sing this together like we believe it.